Hey everyone, Sarah Beth here. Welcome to our online weekend experience. I am so glad that you're here with us as we continue our conversation on emotions. We count it an honor and a privilege for you to spend this time with us. Before we hear from Tony, I wanna say happy Mother's Day. To all you mothers out there, we wanna say how much we love and appreciate you, and we wanna celebrate you. Being a mom is a big job, and we want to let you know that we are here with you and we, are, we think that you are great. You are amazing. Happy Mother's Day. I know on Mother's Day, there also can be a lot of different emotions that come with the day. For some, it's the emotions of celebration and excitement, while for others, it can be a day of frustration, anger, or even grief, from the loss of a mother or the desire to be a mother yourself. To those that today is not easy, we want to say how much we love you and don't want to minimize what you are going through. If you'd like to talk about that, please reach out to us. We would love to connect with you and be there for you as you navigate through today. As we go into our conversation, I'm excited to spend this time together as we navigate through the emotion of happiness. Love you guys and hope you enjoy the rest of the online weekend experience. All right, all right, all right. Well, welcome to the third part of our series that we're in that's called Emotions. And so over the course of the series, uh, what we've been talking about is we've been talking about how emotions are just such a critical part to the human experience. And, uh, you know, I don't think you have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a church person to know that, right? So uh, no matter what you believe or, or where you are on your faith journey, uh, we all share in this common experience of, of emotions. It's, it's a big part of what it means to be a human uh, is to feel. And, and I think that uh, all of us would probably agree that our emotions can sometimes be kind of confusing. And so for some of us, we kind of fall prey to being led by our emotions, making decisions kind of based solely on how we feel. And then there's others of us who maybe kind of fall prey to denying and stuffing our emotions only to find out that like shoving them down will oftentimes result in an outburst or a breakdown. Sometimes when we shove our emotions down, they blow back up on us and on other people. And, uh, and so I think the, the question is, what do, we, what do we do with our emotions, right? How do we kind of untangle them? How do we make sense of them? And uh, that's kind of what we've been thinking about. So over the past couple of weeks, we actually started to approach this whole topic by really looking at what does the Bible teach about emotions. And I would just encourage you that if you miss the past couple of weeks, if you miss those talks, you might want to go back and listen to those. I think that might be helpful for you. We'd encourage you to do that. It also might lay a good foundation to everything else that we'll be saying here today. So I'd love for you to do that. But today, as we kind of continue in this series, we're going to be focusing in together on the topic, on the emotion of happiness. So we're going to be talking about happiness. And I know even when I put that on the screen, it just makes me a little happier just to see the word happy. And so uh, we actually specifically wanted to save this emotion for this weekend because we know uh, that it's Mother's Day. Of course, I know that uh, Mother's Day is not always a happy day for everybody. In fact, uh, Mother's Day can be one of those days that brings out all kinds of different emotions based on kind of your scenario. But I think we do want to say to all the moms in our lives and uh, to all the moms who are watching this that we love you and we appreciate you. And uh, we want to celebrate you this weekend. And we really do hope uh, that this weekend is one uh, where you get to experience some happiness, where, where you get to be happy today. And so our hope is that you, you're celebrated in those ways and that today does bring a lot of happiness. 
And so happiness. And I think probably most likely your mama wants you to be happy. And so that's always a good thing. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, you don't know my mama. And uh, that, that might be a different sermon topic for a different day. Uh, but we're going to be thinking a little bit about happiness. You know, I, I think I would say this. I'd say the pursuit of happiness, I think, is something that deeply resonates with all of us. I would venture to say it's probably safe for me to say that we all really want to be happy. We want to be happy. And I think uh, really in our culture today, uh, we see a greater craving for that maybe than any other time. There seems to be a greater hunger and a greater search for happiness kind of within our culture. In fact, for example, uh, back in the spring of 2018, uh, there actually was a, uh, a professor <clears throat> by the name of Dr. Laura Santos. She's a, a Yale professor of psychology. And she actually studied the science of happiness. And she decided to take kind of the findings of her studies and offer a course that's called Psychology and the Good Life in which she'd present her findings to uh, basically to a classroom and then would assign homework throughout the semester to track the personal growth and happiness of each student. And what's so interesting is that she expected about 30 students to enroll for this class when she first offered it. What she ended up finding was that over 1,200 students signed up for the course, which at the time was about a quarter of the undergrad class. In fact, I'll just show you a quick picture. This is a picture of that first class. They actually had to find the biggest space to put them in uh, on campus. And this became the most popular class in the 300-year history of Yale. In fact, it was so popular, they ended up taking the content, they put it online, they offered it to the public. And get this, uh, after they did that, the enrollment was well over 300,000 people who checked out this course. And so I think, uh, I think what that does is it shows us that this whole topic, apparently, must be striking some kind of a nerve with our society. And I, I think uh, this actually comes as really no surprise, because uh, there's so much research out there that indicates that we as a society you know, even though we're more technologically advanced than we've ever been, even more than we're wealthier and more connected than we've ever been, there's so much research that shows that we are increasingly less happy than we've ever been. For example, there was a, a, a study that was done back in 2017 by the Harris Poll, and uh, this is what they released. They said the latest happiness index reveals American happiness is at an all-time low. And according to this study, one out of three Americans, when they asked, are you happy, identified themselves as happy. So one out of three people said they were happy, which means that two out of three of us who, who are Americans would say that we generally are not happy people. And so I think for sure there's a hunger for, for happiness. And you know, happiness, if you, if you really think about it, it is a super powerful emotion. Uh, it's oftentimes the driving force behind so many of our life choices from like what career we choose to who we hang out with to what we eat, even to like what we eat for dinner. Uh, so much of those decisions are motivated by a desire to be happy. And, uh, you know, I think all of us would probably instinctively know what happiness is. But just so that we can kind of get on the same page, let me just give you a quick definition of happiness. This actually comes from the Cambridge Dictionary. Happiness is defined as feeling, showing, or causing pleasure or satisfaction. So happiness is associated with pleasure and satisfaction. In fact, some uh, synonyms would include things like uh, delight, enjoyment, or fun, right? And, and again, I think most of us, I think it's safe to say that we desire, and a lot of us are pursuing these things, right? We, we want happiness. We want to feel pleasure, satisfaction, delight, enjoyment, fun. We all want to have those things. And yet, it, in our culture, it seems like our pursuit of these things 
keeps coming up short. And so apparently research is telling us that we are looking for happiness uh, kind of in all the wrong places. And so today what we want to do is we actually want to look uh, in maybe for some of you what you might think is an unsuspecting place to talk about this emotion, the emotion of happiness. So here's what I've actually found uh, in my experience. I have found that for, for many of us, maybe even those who are followers of Jesus and who grew up in the church, when we think of these terms, you know, pleasure, satisfaction, happiness, fun, enjoyment, that a lot of times we don't typically associate them with God, and a lot of times we don't associate them with uh, the Christian life. But I actually think that the Bible would tell us something different, and my hope is that we see that today. In fact, I would, I would go so far as even to say it this way, that happiness is something that God desires for us and is intended to be a large part of knowing and following Him. I actually believe that. I actually think that happiness, that pleasure, that enjoyment, I would even go so far as this, that fun is actually supposed to be a big part of what it means to follow God and what it means to, to be part of the Christian life. Now, I, I know when I say that, for some of you, that seems like such a foreign idea, right? And uh, like maybe even for some of us, we get that the Christian life is supposed to be hard. We get that it's supposed to be challenging. We get that it's supposed to be like stretching. Like, sure, we're all, we all get that. But like fun, happy, enjoyable. But I think for some of, that, uh, for some of us, we might not think of that. And I'll just tell you personally, I, I personally have really struggled with this. And I have found that sometimes there's a subtext in the Christian life that if and when I sign up to follow God, that means that my happiness and my fun card like gets revoked, right? In fact, for some of you, uh, this might actually be uh, one of the reasons that you're apprehensive about Christianity. Now, maybe you're a person who's investigating Jesus or you know, you're someone who's not quite sure where, where you stand as it relates to your faith. But maybe for you, uh, one of the reasons why you're apprehensive about committing to Christianity is because you're convinced that God is boring, right? Maybe, maybe in your mind, you think like God is like a killjoy, that God sees happiness as like shallow or selfish, and God just wants to take all fun things away from us. It actually reminds me of, I don't know um, if you guys have ever seen those little, um, I don't know what they're called, like figurines or something. Uh, of the monkeys, you know, I'm talking about the see no evil, speak no, speak no evil, see, uh, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil monkeys. Uh, if you've ever seen those, but oftentimes there's a fourth monkey. Did you ever see the fourth monkey? The fourth one is this. It's see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, have no fun, have no fun. And, uh, you know, I think we kind of, maybe for some of us, we chuckle at that. And I think what this does is it actually reveals a mentality and it reveals a disconnect. And what is the disconnect? Well, here's what I've found. I think oftentimes we think that holiness and what I mean by holiness is living life with and for God. A lot of times we think that holiness and happiness are divorced, that, th that those two things can't coexist together. And so because of that, quite honestly, so some, of, some of us have concluded, you know what? I'd rather be bad and happy than be good and miserable. Um, but can I just remind you of something that the Bible says? The Bible actually teaches something about God. The Bible says that God, for those of us who follow him and commit our way to him, uh, that he is our heavenly father, is what the Bible's going to say. And can I just say that your heavenly father is like any good parent, right? He wants you to enjoy your life. Hey, just think about it. If you're a parent, dads and moms, isn't one of the richest experiences in life watching your kids smile, watching them be happy, watching them enjoy life? Isn't that true? And if we are imperfect parents, 
And how much more would God want that? Here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe this. I think God wants us to be happy. I think he does. I think he wants us to find enjoyment. I think he wants us to have fun. I think he wants that. Now, to be sure, Jesus said following him would come with trials and it would come with trouble. That's true. But listen, he also said that in him was the abundant life. The fullness of life and the fullness of joy are found in him. Now, now again, let me just say that I know when I put this on the screen, there is a fine line between pop psychology and poor theology and the truth of what the Bible teaches on this topic. So here's what I want to think about with the rest of our time, all right, is how do we pursue happiness as God desires and as God defines it? So that's what we're going to think about. And I actually want to encourage you, if you would, why don't you grab your Bible with me? And the place we're going to look is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Okay, so grab a Bible, go to the Old Testament, and we're going to look together at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Now, uh, as you're finding that, um, my guess is some of you, uh, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you might be thinking, why are we looking at this book on a week about happiness? Because Ecclesiastes is oftentimes known as the biggest downer uh, of all time, uh, like in the Bible. And, uh, and so you're like, why are we looking at this about happiness? Well, it actually says something pretty powerful. And, uh, you know, this book, just to give you some background, the book of Ecclesiastes is thought to have been, been written by King Solomon. And uh, basically, uh, in the book, he spent his entire life pursuing things to find meaning, to find enjoyment, and uh, to find happiness. And so he pursued sex, and he pursued money, and he pursued achievement, and all that stuff. And yet, repeatedly, over and over again, his conclusion is, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's, 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 uh, he says it's empty. It's like chasing after the wind. And yet, in the midst of all of this book, um, he actually says something really important right in the middle in chapter 5. And here's what he says. So let's just go ahead and read these, these verses together. Verse 18, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction. So look at that, say that with me, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Now look at verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to, say it with me, enjoy them, to accept their lot and be, say it with me, happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with, say this word, gladness, gladness of heart. So do you notice this? Satisfaction, enjoy, happy, gladness. What are all these? These are synonyms, right, of this idea of happiness. And so I think this seems to be the central theme of this passage. And I think when we dig at this passage, what we're going to see is it actually introduces us to three habits of happiness, three habits of happiness. And this is what we're going to look at, uh, just, just kind of look at together. So the Bible is going to say, how do we become happy people? Well, part of it is pursuing three habits, and that would be this. First off, pursue a perspective of gratitude. That is habit number one. Habit number two, pursue a posture of contentment. And then habit number three is persistently connect the dots. So what's that mean? All right, let's start with the first one this idea of, uh, of pursuing a perspective of gratitude. So look at verse 18. Here's, here's what he says. He says, this is what I have observed to be good. Okay, so he starts off and he says, here's what's good. Now, uh, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he's telling us about things that are meaningless and pointless and bad. And yet right here he says, I found something good. And what is that? He says, it's good and appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction and their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them. And so he says, 
here's what's good, to find satisfaction in your life, to find satisfaction. That's interesting, those words, find satisfaction, uh, literally, it, comes, it means this idea of finding good. And so the word find uh, means to perceive, it means to look, it means to focus on. And then the word satisfaction is also translated the word good. So quite literally, he says, here's what I found is a good thing. It's good to find the good, to find the good in life. And I want you to notice in this passage, uh, satisfaction is not found in the absence of toil. Do you notice this? to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. You know, I think sometimes we think that happiness is found in the absence of work, it's found in the absence of labor, it's in the absence of struggle, it's in the absence of toil. And yet what you see in the Bible is that that's not the case. Oftentimes we think that, but the Bible says that that's not the case. I think a lot of us have maybe seen this to be true. Uh, so much of the happiness that we get in life comes less from our external circumstances and it comes so much more from our internal perspective of those circumstances. Isn't that true? I mean, we can all think, I'm sure, of instances and of people we know who have the most ideal external circumstances, right? Like they have it all, and yet they're miserable people. And I think we can think of the other side of that as well, that there's people that maybe we've seen who are in far less than ideal circumstances, and yet there's a happiness and there's a contentedness within it. Again, I think what this reveals to us is Happiness is not found in the absence of toil or struggles, but happiness is found, at least in part, in the presence of gratitude. In fact, I want you to know something else. Do you notice three times in this passage, he tells us that this life and the things in this life are a gift. So look what he says. He says, the days of our life have been given to us. They've been given to us. Look what he says in verse 19. He said, God gives us wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. All of this is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. What's all this about? I think this is about a perspective of gratitude, that, that happiness in part is a byproduct of a perspective of gratitude. Happiness is not a product of our circumstances. It's a byproduct of gratitude in part. You know, how many of us would see life differently if we saw our job, if we saw our family members, if we saw our schooling, our stuff as like gifts, as actual gifts? And sometimes it's so easy to look at these things as burdens or on the other side, like entitlements, like we deserve those things. And yet I think, man, what would it look like if we made an effort to see the good in these things, to actually see the good and to view them as gifts? Now, let me just, let me just be clear here. I don't think that we always have control over our first response in our circumstances, right? Sometimes our first response is not to see the good. So for example, when the governor tells us that we have another month of the stay home order, my guess is your first response wasn't like, well, let me see the good in this, right? Now our first response is usually our first response. However, I would say this, I do think we are 100% responsible for what we dwell on, right? What do we focus on? Where do we spend our thought life? I think that is something we're responsible for. I mean, think about this for a minute. Isn't it true? just as a general rule of thumb, that your feelings tend to follow your thinking, right? So like, for example, if you dwell on a person who's frustrating you in a conversation you had that was frustrating, what do you tend to feel? Uh, you tend to feel frustrated, right? You feel angry. If you dwell on something that's making you scared or nervous in the future, what do you tend to feel? Scared or nervous or anxious, right? And so what we think about tends, our feelings tend to kind of follow that. And I think that's why the Bible actually says stuff like this in Philippians 
chapter 4, the Bible actually commands us. It says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I think the Bible has to tell us that because, look, for whatever reason, I don't know, chalk it up to sin, like we talked about last week, we all naturally focus on bad stuff, don't we? I think about it. Ten, ten like good words are spoken to you in a day, and one bad thing is said, one critical or negative thing, and what do you tend to focus on? The one bad thing. What do you lay in bed and think about? The bad, right? And it's just kind of pre-wired in us. We've actually talked about this uh, in the past, but you know, even our conversation, do you ever notice that? According to the Huffington Post, it's estimated that up to 40% of our conversation is centered around complaining about something. And, and you know, that might seem like pretty high to you. But if you, if you think about that, like just pay attention to the things that we talk about with each other. It's true. We, we oftentimes are drawn to the negative things. And so we'll talk about how the weather is and how we don't like it. And if the weather happens to be nice, well, we'll switch topics. We'll talk about the economy or we'll talk about the governor or we'll talk about the stay home order. Or we'll talk about how much Zoom meetings stink. And I'm just saying we're drawn to those things. We're kind of drawn to that. And here's, here's my, my fear is sometimes I think we fall prey to believing that we don't have any responsibility in our own joy and our own happiness. That happiness is something that's like outside of us. But listen, that's not true, right? Happiness is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and a consciously chosen way of living. So let me just give you a couple simple ways that we can pursue this habit. So how do we pursue this idea of a perspective of gratitude? Well, here's just a couple practical things. First off, I would say, here's something super practical. Avoid starting your day immersed in your phone. Like, here's a surefire way to ruin your happiness is when you wake up, uh, just grab your phone and check the news and check your email and check your social media. And I think so many times we allow our phone to be the thing that dictates our mood, to dictate our happiness. I love the way N.T. Wright said it. N.T. Wright is a commentator and he's a theologian. Here's what he said in his commentary on Philippians about the passage we just read. He says, the command to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here runs directly opposite to the habits of the mind instilled in us by the modern media. Read the newspapers. Their stock in trade is anything that is untrue, unholy, unjust, impure, ugly, of ill repute, vicious, and blameworthy. Is that a true representation of God's good and beautiful world? And then he goes on, he says this, <clears throat> How are you going to celebrate the goodness of the Creator if you feed your mind only on the place in the world which humans have made ugly? How are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead of all, the, all of the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with and to enjoy and to celebrate? So I love what he says there. Now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should be ignorant of what's happening in the world. And I'm not saying that we should ignore injustice and the needs that we see. But there is something to be said about where you invest prime mental real estate, right? And this actually leads to the second helpful tip, and that's this. I think we need to immerse ourselves in the Bible. You know, immerse yourself in the Bible. This is a big part why here at Grace, we talk a lot about how it's important to be in the Bible every day, like literally every day. Some of you maybe have never done that before, and uh, I'd encourage you to try it. You know, I triple dog dare you to try it. And uh, get in the Bible every day. Maybe start by reading uh, one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus. Maybe start there. And I actually think the mornings are the best time to do this um, because it really sets the tone for the rest of the day. So that's a good practical tip. Here's, here's another one. Practice identifying and vocalizing the good in any circumstance. 
Like this is a big one. Practice this. It it, it requires some uh, some dedicated energy to do this, to identify, but not just identify, but to vocalize it. You have to see it and you have to say it. Say it out loud to someone else or say it out loud to God. Pray it to God. Man, I, I'm finding something to be thankful for. Then I know I know what some of you might be thinking at this point. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, but like if I'm not feeling grateful, doesn't that just seem forced and inauthentic? Like, come on, man, isn't that just, aren't we just talking about positive thinking here? And let me just say, um, no, actually this is not. This is very different than that. Um, I love the way that John Piper put it. John Piper, who's a pastor and also an author, he said this. He said, don't say, but it is hypocritical to thank God with my tongue when I don't feel thankful in my heart. He said, your aim in loosing your tongue with words of gratitude is that God would be merciful and would fill your words with the emotion of true gratitude. You're not hiding the hardness of ingratitude, but hoping for the inbreaking of the spirit. And then I love this. Thanksgiving with the mouth stirs up thankfulness in the heart. I love that. I think he's right about that. And I'll tell you what else is helpful is the Bible actually tells us that gratitude, thankfulness, is actually God's will. It's what he wants. I love 1 Thessalonians. It says, rejoice always, pray continually. Look at this. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says, for this is God's will for you. This is God's will. I personally find that really helpful. There's a lot of times in life I feel confused and foggy about what God's will is. What does God want? What is God's desire? But I can tell you one thing we know. Here's God's will. God's will is that we give thanks. God's will is that we find gratitude. So, so happiness hab- habit one, pursue a perspective of gratitude. Okay, so what's the next one? Here's the second one. Pursue a posture of contentment. Pursue a posture of contentment. All right, so check this out. Look, at, uh, look again at Ecclesiastes 5. He actually says something twice in this passage that I think is really interesting So notice what he says. He says, this is what I've observed to be good, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, drink, to find satisfaction or toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them. Look at this, for this is their lot. For this is their lot. That's an interesting way to say that. He actually repeats it. Look in verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So twice he talks about this idea of being given or accepting a lot. Some translations say portion. And what's that talking about? Well, I think what he's saying is that one of the habits of happiness is that you accept the lot that you've been given in your life. What's that referring to? Well, I think that's talking about a posture of contentment. I mean, I think, I think what he's saying here is so good, so good, because basically here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, all of us have been given a circumstance in life. We've been given a lot and they're all different. Like we all have different lots in life. And he's saying this, he's saying, but for the most part, it's all kind of the same gig. Like for the most part, you know, we're born and we go through life, we experience highs, lows, we experience all kinds of things in between. We go to school, we eventually get a job. And as we work our job, we labor and we work in that. But it's not just simply that we work. For those of us who follow Christ, we basically, our work is a way to be a co-creator with God to make civilization restored, hopefully back to the way that God wants it to be. And so we're not just working a nine to five, but we're working alongside of God to actually make a difference in this world. And when we work to make a difference, there's going to be toil, there's going to be struggle. And when we do that, then we're going to earn a buck. And if you earn a buck, then you can go and you can buy a burger. And when you get a burger, you get a Coke. And when you, and when you get that burger and you get that Coke, he's saying, listen, there can be satisfaction in that. There can be satisfaction if you will enjoy it, if you'll stop, if you'll pay attention. 
He's saying, man, it's just there's, there can be contentment. You know, I think oftentimes we think that happiness is found in being a consumer. But I think what he's saying here is he's saying, no, there's actually a whole lot of happiness found in being a contributor. That, that part of it is found in, in this just accepting our lot and working within it and finding the good that's in there. You know, there's a, it's actually interesting, there's a whole body of research that's done on, uh, done on how to become happier people. And research shows uh, that our minds are constantly telling us that they want to be happy, and they're constantly telling us how to become more happy. And here's what's so interesting. I thought this was so fascinating. All across the board, what science is finding is that most of the time, our minds are just straight up wrong. Like we are constantly trying to make ourselves happy and we're thinking about things that are gonna make us happy and most of the time they're not, most of the time they're wrong. Now, Dr. Uh, Robert Wallinger, he's a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He actually conducted the longest known uh, study that was done on happiness. And so he actually did a TED talk. It has over like 30 million views on the thing, but he actually talks about some of this, this research. And basically, like I said, it's the longest known study that's been done. It started in 1938, and he studied the happiness of over a thousand people. And, uh, and here's, here's what he kind of found. It's interesting. He said that what came as no surprise in this study was that the things that we think are bad for us tend to be bad for us. So smoking is bad for us. Alcoholism is bad for us. Living in isolation is bad for us. He talked about that, but here's what he said. He said, here's the surprise. The surprise was that everything that we think is gonna make us happier doesn't. So in his study, he said, that's what we found. So, so he goes on, wealth does not make people happier. Having your material needs met does not make you happier. Once you get there, making more money doesn't make you appreciably happier. More achievement at work doesn't make you happier. He just goes on and talks about how the things that we often chase in this life that we think are gonna make us the happiest just simply don't. And basically what it's telling us is that, man, you know, we just, we are really bad at predicting what makes us happy. And I think we don't need science to tell us that. Because I think the truth is, is that we all naturally fall into this mentality. A lot of times we think this is the equation for happiness, right? If if I had more money, if I had a nicer house, if I was in a relationship, if I was in a different relationship, if the quarantine was over, if I could go back to a restaurant again, then I would be happy. And oftentimes we, we kind of approach happiness this way. We think this is the equation for happiness. And yet over and over again, I think many of us have found that we chase the ifs and when we get to the thens, that this idea of happiness can be so elusive. And science would actually validate that. They would say, science would say, we're terrible. We're actually really lousy at predicting and forecasting the things that we think will make us happy. I mean, how about this? I think every single one of us watching this right now, let's just be honest. I think every single one of us actually believe that if we won a million dollars tomorrow, that that would make us happier. If we won the lottery and we had a million dollars, we'd be much happier. And I know that there's, and you know this too, there's so much study out there that's been said that actually that's not true. People who win the lottery tend to be more miserable. And yet somewhere in our mind, we just can't seem to reconcile. I know for me, I'm like, I know what the science says, but I'm different, right? I'd like to find out. And I just think it's interesting. All the science tells us that's the case. In fact, winning the lottery is so bad for us that Clay Crockle, a guy by the name of Clay Crockle, who's a renowned therapist who specializes in therapy sessions for the ultra rich in New York City. Imagine that job. He actually said this. He said, if you have an enemy, go buy him a lottery ticket. 
because the off chance that they win, their life is going to be really messed up. And so we all kind of think this way, the ifs and the thens. And I'll tell you, this is actually one of the great themes that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is this. I believe that one of the greatest enemies of our happiness is discontentment. It's the pursuit of more. And like I said, this is one of the great themes we see in Ecclesiastes. Solomon relates how he sought after all the ifs, all of them. If I had more money, if I had you know, more, more women, if I had more accomplishments in my life, then I'd be happy. And yet he says, I chased all the ifs, and when I got all the thens, I found that apart from God, they were all vain and they were all empty. In fact, he actually says this in verse 10. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. I love that. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Look what he says in verse 12. This is so cool. He says, people who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or, or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. I love that. He says, think about it. He says, man, you work hard, you sleep well. And he says, you know, a good night of rest, you can find enjoyment, whether you have little or much. Contentment is such a big deal. First Timothy 6 says, here's the, here's the equation. Okay, the equation for happy not, happiness is not if-then. The equation is godliness plus contentment equals great gain. So that's it. If we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. We'll be content. Sometimes I think what truly keeps us from experiencing happiness, believe it or not, is our pursuit of it. So I actually think that sometimes what keeps us from experiencing happiness is that we're constantly chasing after something that we think is going to make us happy and not being content in what it is that's right in front of us. So the three habits, pursue a perspective of gratitude, pursue a posture of contentment. And here's the last one, probably the most important, is persistently connect the dots. Some of you are like, what are you talking about there? Okay, so you guys ever play that game, like connect the dots with your kids or whatever, dot to dot? So um, I know for my family, whenever we go to a restaurant or back when we used to be able to go to restaurants, you know, we'd sit down and they'd give you the placemat and then uh, the crayons and the kids would play with the thing. And, and uh, my kids and I would play with that after crushing my kids like 30 times in tic-tac-toe. Uh, eventually we'd be like, ah, oh, let's do the dot-to-dot thing. So we'd kind of do it, you know, and you go, you know, it's one to two and, and but you've, you've done it, right? And so basically there's a bunch of dots and you can't see the picture. And then after you connect the dots, all of a sudden the picture begins to make sense. And you're like, oh, look, it's a, you know, I don't know, it's a polar bear juggling biscuits or whatever the heck it is. I, I don't even know. And, uh, and I, I think in this passage, what you see is you see that he's connecting some dots. So notice, he says that all of these gifts, the gifts of our, of our life, are gifts from, notice he says God. In verse 19, he says, God is the one who gives wealth and possessions. Here he says, this is all a gift from God, right? And he says, God is the one that keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. What's he doing here? He's connecting the dots. Listen, what he's saying is these pleasures in life are not an end in themselves. They point to someone that when you feel grateful for something, he says you shouldn't just be grateful for the thing itself, but it also should point to the fact that there's a giver who's you should connect the dots back to the one who gave. When you feel content, he says that's not just in the circumstance itself. It's content that there's someone who's behind that circumstance who loves you and who you can trust within it. You know, I think sometimes we are often short-sighted when it comes to happiness. We stop at happiness as an end in itself, and we never connect the dots to the author of happiness, to the true author 
of happiness. Now, did you ever just stop and think about how amazing it is that God has allowed us in our experience to experience enjoyment and delight and happiness and fun? What kind of God must he be that he invented those things? I mean, did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about, like, just, I mean, this is a silly thing. Did you ever think about eating? I mean, my goodness, I love to eat. Hopefully today you eat some good food. But isn't it amazing that God has given us such an amazing array of taste buds that we can taste sweet and sour and savory and everything in between, and salty, and, and, and the combination of those things. God did not have to make it that way, but he did. What does that say about him who's the gift giver? You know, I was driving past the cow pasture the other day, and I had this thought go through my mind. Do you ever think about this? How awesome is God that he created an animal that eats grass and makes steak, makes burgers. I mean, how cool is that? What kind of God does something like that? You know, you ever think about, look at nature. It's so beautiful. If you'd stop and look at it, it's so breathtaking. This time of year, spring is springing, right? And you go out and you see the blossoms on the trees and you see the flowers and man, it's breathtakingly beautiful. Every morning and every night, there is a fireworks show that God puts off in the sunset. He did not have to make it that way. What's that say about him? What's that say about him? He has music, art. Gosh, I love that stuff. God didn't have to make that so enjoyable. I heard someone one time say it this way. They said, art is the way that we decorate uh, space and music is the way we decorate time. I just love that. I mean, how, how awesome is it that God created space and time and such beautiful things within it that we could experience? It's just amazing. I'll say this, some of you guys are like, I can't believe he went there, but I'm going there. Sex, oh my gosh, man. God did not have to make that so enjoyable and so pleasurable, but he did. And not only did God stop there, but God actually made marriage to be the container for sex. And I think a lot of us know that the beauty and the romance of sexuality is not found in the act itself, but it's found in the exclusivity of a commitment. And listen, that was God's idea. That was his idea. You know, the enemy doesn't make anything new. He just corrupts what's already beautiful and made. What does that say about him? Sex is awesome. It's beautiful. It's fun. I recommend it. If you're married, I recommend it. But I'm just saying all these things point to God. So we got to connect these dots, right? we got to connect these dots. They're not an end in themselves, but they're intended to point to him. I think this is why 1 Thessalonians says this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. That's it. Connect the dots. Who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy stuff. Just don't worship it, right? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Oftentimes, so much happiness is found in sharing. And this way, they'll lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. You see what he's saying? The things of this life are for our enjoyment, but they need to point us to something that's eternal. C.S. Lewis always said it this way. I love this. He said, in pleasure, we have to trace the beam back to the sun. And I like that. You know, do you, ever, do you ever feel a sun ray on you and you feel the ray of sun and it, it's war it warms you? He says, you have to trace that back to its source. Don't praise the sun ray, praise the sun. And he says, in, in, in the pleasures in life, we have, to trace, we have to trace it back to the sun. So when you feel... When you feel the, 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 the breeze on your skin, when you, 
when you feel the sun shine on you, when you feel the softness of your feet going into slippers, your slippers at nighttime, those things are not to be an end in themselves. They should point you to the creator of those things and cause you to worship within it. I think doing this keeps us from worshiping the gift and ignoring the giver of the gift. So connect the dots. Let the pleasures of your life point you to the giver of life and put your hope in him. You know, maybe for some of you, you've never done that before. Maybe, maybe you're pursuing happiness outside of God because you think God's lame. But I'm just telling you, God created you. He created fun. He created pleasure. And as the creator of those things, he actually knows the best way to lead you to what's going to cause the most joy. So maybe for you today, maybe for the first time, I just invite you to put your hope in Jesus, to find him to be the source of your joy. Maybe you've pursued happiness and found that all of your pursuits have left you wanting. God is good and he loves you and he's a good father who cares about you. Enjoyment does not come from stuff, doesn't come from money, it doesn't come from achievement, from approval, from adoration of others. True happiness comes from knowing the living God and taking everything from his hand with thanksgiving. I'll close with this quote. This comes from Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, which is an excellent book, by the way. He says, scripture says, blessed, which means happy, are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not after happiness. Seek for happiness and you'll never find it. Seek righteousness and you'll discover you're happy. Do you want to experience true happiness? There's only one thing to do. Seek Christ. He is our joy and our happiness. Seek him, seek his face, and all of the things will be added to you. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you that you're the author of happiness. You're a creator of fun. You're the creator of enjoyment. And God, you are, you are not a killjoy, but you're the creator of those things, and you're the one who knows how to best give us those things. So, Father, we want to turn our hope to you today. We want to say thank you. We want to have hearts of gratitude. There's so many gifts that you've given to us. Help us not to look over those. Give us a heart of contentment. We can trust you. We can trust you that you in your wisdom have given us our lives in the circumstances that we're in. And Father, help us to connect the dots. All of these good things point to you, who is the author of those things. So we pray this. I pray for the happiness of everyone who's watching this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.